Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the 488th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can get your daily reading from me at onesometro.com uh, along with me and my other writers as well as the rest of the SB Nation family of soccer websites. Come on in chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. The playoffs have started. They've been on a roll, and we still have <coughs> uh, excuse me, other playoff games happening tomorrow on Tuesday. Now, I don't like how these games are being played. I think, you know, it should have been um, a little bit better. I felt maybe the playing game should have been at least on a Wednesday night, and then you would have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday being played uh, for these quarterfinal matches. Did not happen that way. MLS uh, once again is having, uh, I'd like to say, a little issue with the scheduling, but you know what? Look, this is how they're going to do it. This is what's going to happen. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have to roll with the punches and just move forward. I don't like it. Uh, could be a little bit different, but that's okay. Um, we're getting some great action here. We're having some fantastic action. Hard-fought matches. Two matches ended up in the penalty shootout. And, you know, we had a one at the death uh, over in Foxborough and everything else that's going on. Now, the Orlando City, New York City shootout was the biggest questionable officiating decisions we have ever seen in the history of the MLS Cup playoffs. Once again, and I know how many of you are, you know, well, we're not going by the international calendar. We're not going by how, you know, everyone else does it in Europe. And, and I, I understand that. I completely understand that and, and how you guys are feeling about it. But once again, it's a situation where questionable decisions are being made. Questionable decisions have come forward with these situations. And basically, there's also questions about, well, there's a, you know, we have to go by the old law because the new law is here. Uh, we have to go by the new law because, you know, it, what happens – uh, in Europe, that you know, that's more correct than what we're doing here. But the truth is this: if I can just say this, is that this is what happens when you are going by laws of the game that are honestly, honestly, this is the situation when you are playing. Your matches in the springtime into the summer and then ending in the fall, the same way that goes on in the Scandinavian countries like in Sweden and Finland and Norway and Denmark. Because those countries are too cold to play in a regular European season. And once again, while every during the winter time, uh, in the northern end of the country, it's cold as heck. The southern end of the country remains warm in the autumn and into the and into the winter. So once again, and even if you're uh, the Canadian sides, you got to go through the winter time as well. So as we saw on uh, Unimas, or if you're able to have the uh, uh, the SAP button go from Spanish to English, what we saw. Very simply put, was the situation 
of the goalkeeper cheating off his line and basically basically making a penalty kick save that everyone thought they won the game. Now, here's the situation that was questionable for me, and it's all about Pro making a statement. Now, this is from Jeffrey Carlisle of ESPN, and what was told to him and the other reporters from Pro on the situation of the yellow card and then the screw-up of the substitution. And that's a big screw-up there because even I knew the game is over. Even I knew Orlando had subs, but you couldn't make a sub because you're in the penalty kick shootout. That an on-field player had to take over the goal from the starting keeper. You couldn't bring in Brian Rowe. Even though they were told, yes, you can do it, go ahead. But you couldn't do it. Even I knew that was the case, that this is a penalty kick shootout, that you would have to sacrifice a field player to put on the, keeper go- the, the goalkeeper gloves and the goalkeeper jersey to be in the net to make a save. Here is the situation. And once again, the laws of the game have changed due to the fact that this is now for 2021 – But because we go by a full calendar year in MLS, it's only for for 1920. So the old laws are still part of MLS until 2021 season comes along, and then they take hold of the new laws. Here's the situation. The MLS regular season started in March 2020 prior to the 2020-21 law changes coming into effect, and therefore the entire regular season – was played under the provisions of the 2019-20 laws of the game, as are the current playoffs. As such, when a goalkeeper encroaches from the goal line and does not have at least one foot on or in line with the goal line at the moment when a penalty kick is taken or when a kick happens during kicks from the penalty marker to decide the winner, of the game. If the kick is saved, it must be retaken, and the goalkeeper must also be cautioned. He got booked. Apparently, that's his second booking. That's why he got ejected. In today's Audi MLS Cup playoff game, Orlando City versus New York City Football Club, during kicks from the penalty mark, a kick was saved by Orlando goalkeeper Pedro Galisi. However, the on-field officials identified an encroachment offense by Galisi, who had moved forward off the goal line the moment the kick was taken and had no part of either foot on or in line with the goal line. As such, the kick was ordered to be retaken, and Galisi was correctly cautioned for the offense as per the 2019-20 laws of the game. As he had been cautioned earlier in the game, he was sent off for receiving two cautions in the same game. The laws of the game only allow a goalkeeper who has been sent off during kicks from the penalty mark to be replaced by an eligible player, i.e. a player who was on the field who was on the field of play, excuse me, at the end of extra time. As such, Even though Orlando had not used their full allocation of substitutes, they were notably, they were not able, excuse me, they were not able to bring a substitute goalkeeper into the game at that point, and Galisi had to be replaced in goal by a field player. So as of right now, what really hurts about this rule, and the truth is, this is the correct law that MLS still goes under for 2019. 2020. When the change will come for next season, that means in March, in March, when the league, when the MLS restarts, the brand new year, the 2020 21 laws, excuse me, the 2020 to 21 
law changes will happen. Now, should there have been a verbal warning to Galisi? I would say yes, that a verbal warning should have been given to Galisi to tell him, you know what, I'm just going to let – I'm going to give you a verbal warning. Just don't do it again. If you do it again, I'm going to give you the second yellow card. That's under the discretion of the referee. But once again, the point I'm making is that you have a situation that has been detrimental to the game. And at the same time, Alan Chapman should have known that the previous, the, the current law, 2019-2020, is on the books and not 2020-21. That is his fault, VAR's fault, or someone inside VAR must have corrected him. But the truth is, if you, if you don't know the current laws of the game, then you are lost. I have always been a big critic of Alan Chapman as a referee. I don't – I believe he's too arrogant. He doesn't want to listen. Ha, you know, and once again, he has proven that he not only is arrogant, but he is clueless of how the, the laws of the game are being defined. Once again, and I understand, FIFA laws must be followed succinctly. But once again, the point is simply put. If you don't know how you're doing it, and if you don't know what the laws of the game are, whether it is the new laws or the old laws, depending on where this season started and how it finishes, then you know what? You don't deserve to be a referee. You don't deserve to be a referee at all. You should be relearning the laws of the game and what is going on. You caused confusion not only with the fans in the stadium, the head coaches that were there, the uh, visiting fans, the fans uh, watching their team on television, wondering what the hell is going on here. And you had to be told you're doing it wrong. If you don't know how things are going, then you know what? Let Let the fourth official take over. So you can remove yourself and become the fourth official. Now, I agree. I agree. Galisi got booked. Second yellow became a red. He is ejected and suspended for the next playoff game. But once again, after that, it's a big, big mess. I don't like what I saw. It was unprofessional. Pro needs to get their referee re-educated. I know there's workshops. Sometimes I believe some of these referees don't pay attention to these workshops. Whether it be through the U.S. Soccer, CONCACAF, or FIFA. And this is where I think MLS and U.S. Soccer have to come together and re-educate and inform these referees, these officials, these on-field officials that they have to pay for, including the Canadian Soccer Association, when it comes to some referees uh, in, of course, when they got to be officiating Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. There has to be, and I'm not saying they don't deserve to be respected, they have to be respected, but when they disrespect the game and they disrespect the two teams, then they've, they've lost that. They've lost that respect. And they need to be punished for the disrespect that they have shown. I'm not, I'm not saying it's all the time, but if they make a very major mistake, you have to inquire, why are you doing this? Why are you not paying attention to the situation that you need to know that you cannot allow uh, Orlando to bring in their backup goalkeeper during penalty kicks when it has to be an eligible player, a field player, who has to wear the goalkeeper jersey, who has to wear the gloves of the goalkeeper to go out there and to try and make a save. And did he do so at the end? Yes. Yes, it, had, yes it did. And Orlando continued on to be 
uh, going into the next round, and New York City FC gets eliminated. So that's all you can say about it, and unfortunately these things happen, but it's just an absolute sham that you turn the playoffs into a joke if you don't know the laws of the game and the current laws of the game before they get updated for the 2021 MLS season. Uh, great show for you tonight. I'm going to have on a recorded interview with uh, Jake Cantonese from the Bent Musket, my SB Nation colleague. And uh, we'll also talk about the Nashville FC, uh, excuse me, SC Inter-Miami uh, playoff game where uh, Nashville took care of business on Inter-Miami. But uh, originally had him on to come on live. Uh, something has come up. I'm joined uh, in a recorded interview, Mr. Alex Margulies, as he works for uh, Nevada Sports Network over in the Reno area, northern, uh, I call it in the northern Nevada area. Um, as we're going to talk in a recorded interview, the sad deletion um, of Reno 1868 came out of nowhere. So here is Mr. Margulies right now in a recorded interview to talk about uh, the sad developments of what happened to USL Championship side Reno 1868. This is Daniel Feuerstein, the American Soccer Show, as we always cover anything and everything American soccer-wise, MLS, USL, NPSL, and anything and everything involving the game in this country. Joining me right now, a gentleman that covers Nevada sports in uh, the area of, Le- of Reno. And, of course, everybody knows the situation that happened with Reno 1868. They are no longer around in USL Championship. Surprised everybody. Joining me from Nevada Sportsnet, it is Alex Margulies, and he'll explain to us the situation that happened. Alex, welcome, and how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And I, I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I, I, this is not even for you. It's for the entire audience for you guys on the East Coast. I told you before we were on the air, I have to educate people one person at a time because people in Nevada are a little, they get a little prickly about this one when people say Nevada. So I'm trying to help educate to all the listeners out there. Uh, so I work for Nevada Sportsnet. We're in the state of Nevada. And uh, I'll leave it alone after that. I will send you the money for the uh, mistake jar, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, all of us that follow the game um, in USL Championship League, uh, we're very shocked to hear that Reno 1868 has uh, closed up operations. What were the reasons for this, and how shocking was it to hear this news? You know, it, it was definitely shocking because it just came out of nowhere. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't shocking because of just the landscape and what's going on right now with this COVID-19 pandemic. And I think, at least for me, I, I felt like this was totally possible for any sports franchise, especially on the minor league level, you know, it's just, this is a devastating, devastating time for the sports industry, and, you know, the United Soccer League USL Championship, it's not really designed as a league that can survive without having revenue from a gate, from having fans being able to attend games, from concessions and parking and and all the different things that have to take place, And, and ultimately, you know, the... COVID kind of was, was the, the death blow to the franchise, and, and it's so unfortunate because they had become so beloved in the community, and when you look at their on-field success, I mean, they were just tremendous, and they had a great head coach. They've uh, advanced so many guys up to uh, higher levels of soccer, including recently this year, some guys that have gone on and, and have already appeared in games with Minnesota, and you know, it, it was very disappointing, um, shocking, because it just kind of came out of nowhere. But, again, not shocking because, you know, I, to me, I think this is going to be kind of a, a domino because I think there are going to be a lot of sports franchises out there, whether it's minor league baseball, minor league soccer, whether it's hockey, you know, that are really going to be financially damaged by this pandemic. And I think the effects are going to be felt for a very long time. I agree with you there. It's really been hard and frustrating to see this pandemic uh, finding ways to creep in into the professional sports world. And unfortunately, you know, destroying the financial 
uh, hopes and dreams of some of these clubs coming forward. I understand um, it was the owner of the Indiana Pacers who was uh, uh, the owner of this Reno club, including the minor league baseball team at Aces Ballpark, that where they played at, was really hit hard uh, during this pandemic. What what did he say to uh, all the Reno supporters out there? I mean, obviously he didn't want to do this. Yeah, you know, Herb Simon never spoke uh, directly to the fans, actually referring to the owner of the Pacers, and as well, of course, owns Reno 1868 and then uh, the Reno Aces franchise. You know, he never said anything. However, you know, we did have a lot of long conversations, um, in particular with the president of Reno 1868 as well as the Reno Aces, um, Eric Edelstein. And, you know, it, it, was, um, it, it was a very emotional deal. I mean, uh, Eric kind of described it as, you know, that he's been involved very much so as a partner in these conversations with Herb Simon, and it was a really tough decision to make. And, you know, I think there, there are a myriad of reasons of why this happened. But, again, the COVID-19 pandemic was really what pushed it over the edge and just made the business not workable, you know, for this franchise anymore. And I think one thing that really – there's a couple things I think that, that happened. One is that, you know, you have a franchise that's operating both a baseball team and a soccer team. You know, the stadium was built downtown over 10 years ago for a baseball team. You know, now it's called Greater Nevada Field, and it's the home of the AAA affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and they've been very successful, you know, in their time there. And, you know, one thing is that they have to really buckle down and make sure that they take care of that baseball product. They have a lease that goes through the year 2043. Um, You know, they're very committed to keeping baseball in northern Nevada. And so I think that they really had to take a look at this and go, we lost a ton of money this year. Next year is so uncertain. We don't even know if we're going to have fans next year. We're going to continue to lose a ton of money. And then at the same time, we've got to figure out a way to make sure that this baseball product, if and when we get baseball back, that this baseball product survives and that we're able to keep this franchise going in northern Nevada at a minimum as a baseball team. I think the other thing that has to be kind of looked at is as soccer continues to grow in America, particularly in the USL Championship, they're going to want markets that have a soccer-specific stadium. And especially after what happened here with COVID, I think this Reno franchise really was not in position at all to be pursuing a soccer-specific stadium in northern Nevada. And I think while, you know, maybe let's say that COVID didn't happen, you know, five years from now, that may have been a problem and it may have resulted in maybe a change and, and Reno no longer being part of the USL championship because they, they don't have a soccer-specific stadium. And also, they're the, the smallest market. Out of 35 teams in the USL championship, Reno was the smallest media market, population-sized market. And so I think all of those factors, you know, kind of went into this, this decision. And I will say this, you know, they have not ruled out a return of soccer in northern Nevada. And I think this group... You know, with Eric Edelstein leading the way and Herb Simon as the owner, I think that they will, uh, they certainly will continue to advocate for soccer in the United States. And I know that they would love to bring soccer back to northern Nevada at some point if the climate's right, if, you know, things kind of break a certain way. I could see that happening, but for right now, it just was not something that was going to be possible. And that's understandable. As, as I've said before, I mean, you know, the, the whole pandemic has been a complete uh, dagger in, you know, any form of business, even if it is in sports or uh, the casinos. I know Nevada, uh, the entire state, is allow, you know, has allowed casinos to thrive, uh, especially like in Lake Tahoe. We already know about Las Vegas. Um, it's just been really hard to see these businesses go. And I think I read an article or I saw the video where uh, Caesars sold the Harrah's uh, Casino and now that's going to be a permanent residential building uh, in the future, I believe. It is, yeah. So, um, you know, Reno is going through a major transformation as a city. And I think over the next 20 years, you're really going to see the city continue to rise on the West Coast as being uh, a major uh, growth in population. Uh, what you're seeing are a tremendous amount of people, and it's been happening for years, moving out of California. Uh, moving out of San Francisco and Los Angeles in particular because it's become so expensive to live in those two cities. And they're moving to places like Reno. They're moving to places like Las Vegas, Boise, Idaho, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. They're moving to uh, some of these other 
um, some of which are smaller, some are also very big. But uh, Reno's going through a big transformation, and as you mentioned, yeah, that hair is shut down as one of them. I mean, Reno right now has way too many people coming in and not enough places for people to live, and, and real estate prices have absolutely skyrocketed. Uh, apartments are, are hard to come by, and um, so, you know, projects like what you just mentioned, the hair is being transitioned into apartments and kind of a little city center with um, bars and restaurants and, and some some kind of new thing to kind of add into downtown, you know, that's a layer of what's happening, but there are numerous projects around the city that are really going to transform the way that the city looks over the next five years, the next 10 years, and the next 20 years. Let me just ask you this question. Like you said, the plan is to hopefully bring back, uh, if not Reno 1868, at least a Reno professional soccer uh, club uh, somewhere down the road. Even if they do go back to the ballpark uh, to play their games in. And you said, you know, maybe there's not enough finances to build a stadium. Let's just say for the heck of it, there was. Do you think somewhere in the downtown Reno area there's a possibility of a soccer-specific stadium? And it doesn't have to be, you know, like Home Depot Center of Major League Soccer. It doesn't have to be, uh, or it could be like what goes on in Pittsburgh uh, over at uh, High Highmark Stadium in the Three Rivers area, uh, could you see at least maybe, what, a 5,000-seat stadium or an 8,000-seat stadium, if, if possible, if it does happen? I think I think I could see something like that somewhere in Reno or somewhere in northern Nevada, downtown Reno. I'm not so sure. Um, just kind of thinking the landscape of, of what is available. I mean, I think... It's possible, but I really would not. I would not bet on a downtown soccer-specific stadium. I do think that it's possible at some point that something like that could be done elsewhere around the you know around the city. You know, Reno is a very spread-out place. Um, you know, it's it's a very very big footprint, so it's not very congested. And I think there are some areas around town where they could build a soccer stadium, and that could be kind of a cool little focal point, but I think jamming it in downtown, you know, with Greater Nevada Field already there, I, I really wouldn't expect that, and I think you know, to answer your question about playing soccer again at Greater Nevada Field, I think it's possible, but I don't know if that would happen under the USL Championship. Maybe with one of the lower levels of the USL, uh, or, you know, who knows what happens in the soccer landscape over the next five years, you know, what other things happen in the development of soccer in the U.S., and, and what other leagues could possibly come up um, but yeah, it'll be a really interesting story to follow, and I, and I think over time, I do think there is an interest and a passion uh, for soccer here, and I think that will continue to grow as more people move into the area. And you know, and I know that there is a, a definitely a passion from the people that run the business side of sports here in Northern Nevada to you know look at that down in the future if the climate's right. Now I hope so, because uh, you know I was enjoying those uh, rivalries. Uh, between uh, Reno and uh, Vegas in the USL Championship in the regular season, or even the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, you know, Reno, in its short time it lived, you guys, or at least the club, had some successes in the Open Cup, and it looked really, really fun to watch. Yeah, and it was really fun to watch, like, Reno and Sacramento play each other. It was some great matches between those two sides. Um, and, and, and you just, the, the quality of play by this franchise was really just unbelievable considering the circumstances of being the smallest market in the entire league and Ian Russell and what he did as a head coach uh, working with the San Jose Earthquakes and that entire staff um, that Ian put together. He is an un unbelievable head coach and I th I'm shocked that he is not at the MLS level. I think it is, is an absolute disgrace. I think he is a, 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 he's one of the best um, soccer coaches out there and I think that um, he has done such a good job at reviving careers he's done such a good job at finding diamonds in the rough and you know the fact he was able to take this group this year without so many uncertainties and, and put together a team that, that finished first in the USL uh, and I'll say it right now I, I'm, I, I can't believe that they would take away the, the regular season champion you know, they, they, they would not even recognize Reno as a regular season champion. And it wasn't even because of COVID. It was just that something they're moving forward, not having that. And I think that's a real shame because it would have been really nice for what Reno was able to accomplish this year in this shortened season and this whole thing 
you know, they deserve to be called a regular season champion. And, um, you know, they were denied that. And I, I was very disappointed to see that. I don't blame you. I understand where you're coming from. That would have been nice if they were able to allow that shield to get uh, awarded over the arena. At least you can, you know, they can hang the hat on it. You still can if you feel like, you you know, you have to. I say go for it. Um, you know, Reno was definitely the, the best club in 2020, even though it was a pandemic-shortened season. Sorry, you cut out there for a second. Did you repeat that? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just saying that uh, I don't blame you for feeling like that because Reno had the better record. Yeah. And I felt that maybe the league should have at least awarded you guys the shield to say you are yeah. regular season title champions. And I don't blame you for feeling like that. Yeah, it was it was too bad. It was too bad because I think they earned it. Um, but you know, it's just a weird year. And I yeah, I, I I really feel for the other teams. Like I feel for Phoenix and I feel for Tampa Bay to get to a USL championship and never get to play that game. I mean, I, could you imagine being a player on one of those teams and you? You sacrifice so much to go through the year, and then you don't even get to play in a championship. I just, I really felt for those guys. And if that happened to, to my guys in Reno, I would have really felt bad. I and mean, there's so many guys that it would have been their, their you know, a, a crack at, 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 at hoisting a trophy. And, and um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's a strange year. I, I was thankful that we were able to get at least some soccer in, and, and uh, it gave us a great little distraction. And, and we saw some phenomenal um, competition, and, and um, you know, it'll be a season I'll never forget. It'll be be a four-year stretch, you know, that I'll never forget. And I think uh, a lot of great memories for sure. Just to follow up, and I guess final question is, before and after Reno has come and gone, uh, what was the soccer scene like in the Reno area? You know, it was it was pretty grassroots. You know, they're not not a lot, um, I, but I do think like as soon as you know, there's a lot of soccer fans that, you know, kind of have, have, you know, from all over the country. You know, I think there's, inherently, there's some San Jose Earthquakes fans in northern Nevada because how close it is. I think you've got a lot of L.A. fans, uh, Galaxy fans in particular in northern Nevada because of, like I said, the proximity to those two cities. Uh, San Francisco is only about a three-and-a-half-hour drive, four-hour drive from San Jose, and, and it's only, uh, you know, an hour flight to, to Los Angeles. So I think there are quite a few supporters of those two franchises in particular. And then, you know, of course, uh, a lot of uh, overseas interest as well and, and, and fans of a lot of teams as well in Europe. Um, but you really saw a big movement early. As soon as that team was formed, you saw the supporter sections coming together and you saw the, the folks coming and, and marching and playing the drums and chanting and, and doing what they did. And it was really fun to see the way that soccer kind of just kind of kind of blew up a little bit, you know, it was like, it was, it was cool to see soccer on the map in northern Nevada and to see, you know, the kind of support that it could get. Absolutely. It's great to hear. Sorry about Reno, Alex. Uh, hopefully they will come back and uh, just to come back and play. That's all we're really hoping for over here. But I appreciate the time. Uh, continue success with, I'm trying to say it correctly here, Nevada, Nev- Nevada, is that, is that it? You did it. All right, there we go. Good, good, good. I don't want to get yeah, another. Thanks for having me on. It was it was a pleasure talking to you and, and talking some soccer and and uh, wish you wish you the best and uh, we'll catch up another time. We definitely will. Have a good night. All right, take care. Alex Margulies, Nevada Sportsnet, talking about the situation with Reno 1868, and I really do hope that. Reno does get their soccer club back uh, either in USL Championship, maybe USL League One, if they're going to start uh, to be you know, expanding to the west side of the nation. Hopefully we'll have that done. Also, if they go to USL League Two, it's fine. As long as they come back, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. Now, uh, once again, in a recorded interview, uh, my colleague of Vespi Nation, Jake Cantonese, uh, he will – be talking about that big playoff win over the Montreal Impact, uh, Bruce Arena's side defeating Thierry Henry's side, and it's going to be uh, some great talking. From the bent musket of SB Nation, here is Jake Catanese. Daniel Feuerstein, the American Soccer Show, as we talk about these wonderful MLS Cup playoffs, the play-in games, as we'll review those games, and then we're going to preview the next round for these winners. Joining me right now, of course, he is one of my colleagues at SB Nation. He's at the Bent Musket on the New England Revolution. Their victory over the Montreal Impact, two goals to one. 
Jake Catanese joins me. Jake, welcome back. And uh, I have to tell you, fun, fun match, a lot of excitement, and a big goal at the death inside second half stoppage time to put the Revolution ahead into the quarterfinals and, and beating up on Thierry Henry's Montreal Impact two goals to one. I don't think Thierry Henry wants to play any more playoff soccer games at Gillette Stadium. That's that's not a good not a good day for him usually when that when that happens. Not that we're complaining um, in New England. In fact, we, we kind of sort of love that stuff. But uh, that was a game that uh, you know you have to give Montreal a lot of credit. That that honestly should have gone uh, two extra time. I think Montreal deserved to have that going extra time. New England um, the same problem New England's had all year. You know they you know don't do enough of the chances that they do generate, and then the half chances. Tend to not go in, but uh, Gustavo Bo flipped the script with about 30 seconds left in the 95th minute, and uh, that's that's why Gustavo Bo is there. Um, you you wish that he would he would do that more often, but you know 25 yard uh, streamers into the back corner not something that you should be doing on a regular basis. No, I agree with you there. I mean um, that rip from distance that just beats uh, Clement Diop was such a fantastic strike. Um, I, I honestly thought it was going to go wide, but when it smashed the back of the net, I was like, oh, my goodness, how did he get to that? How did he get that ball into the net like that? That was unbelievable. And, uh, you know, you see why Bruce Arena uh, brought him over to play for this revolution side to at least make a run if possible. Yeah, it, it's, it's been a weird year for New England. They, you know, Gustavo Bo missed some time late in the second half. Uh, Carla Teal just getting back to full uh, strength after missing almost the entire season um, with a with a I think it was either Achilles or a foot injury at this point I can't even keep track anymore. Um, but it's you know New England has not had all three of their DPs on the field at the same time and and while they still you know struggle in front of net um, again credit to Montreal Clement Diop had to take two headers from Adam Busca and and put him onto the post um, both of those chances easily could have gone in um, you know New England, New England had their chances to put this game away at one zero. Um, they, they were able to take their chance at 1-1 late, and then they do get the game winner and another date with Philadelphia, which I'm sure we're about to talk about. Uh, not looking forward to that. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to have all three DPs on the field at the same time. You can clearly see New England a much different team. Um, you know, still, you know, not settled in a, in a team formation. It, it seems strange to hear, I think it was Teal Bunbury, among others, talk about, hey, we're still trying to figure out, like, our identity and what we are. And that's not a normal thing you want to hear in November or in the playoffs. But for New England, it makes sense because they, they haven't had their full complement of players. They haven't had a set rotation or a set style of play. They are still trying to figure it out because their three DPs have really only been on the field for maybe a half dozen games as starters. Um, if not less, you know, we're looking at maybe three, four hundred, five hundred minutes total with all three of them on the field. So, um, you know, as, as much as we, you know, we love, you know, Teal Bunbury and the effort he put in this year, leading the team with eight goals, you know, you do need Carlos Hill in the middle of the field pulling those strings, making those extra passes. Uh, really, I think him getting the fullbacks more involved, um, really helping this team. Tejon Buchanan was fantastic. For the first 55 minutes before he went off an injury, he was deputized at right back. Um, he's been fantastic the last couple of months um, up at right wing. So, you know, it's, it's something where now, you know, you, you see the pieces that New England has, you see what they might be capable of, but I think a lot of that capability you're, you're going to have to see next season. No, I agree with you there. Uh, <clears throat> like we've said already, Car- Carlos Heel, how important has he been for the revolution, especially late coming back from the injury? I know that he was also uh, a very big cog in the, uh, you know, the resurgence of the New England Revolution going forward from Bruce Arena. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, he's just tremendous. In, in the middle of the field or as a winger coming in, I, I think he should be playing always at the number 10 role. But, you know, New England has to sort of deploy Bo as a withdrawn striker. So they, they sort of move around the three DPs. It's still a 4-2-3-1, but it just sort of depends on if Bo is kind of sort of occupying the withdrawn striker or if, you know, Hill is cutting in. Um, you know, we win, obviously, you know, utility man now off the bench. Um but yeah, no, there's, there's, you, you can't say enough about what, what Carlos Hill brings to the team as far as technical ability and passing ability. And there's, there's only a handful of people in the league who can, who can take that cross down from Gustavo Bo from, from the other side of the box um, and volley that 
right corner into the side netting. That that just does not happen. That just proves um, the class of of Carlos Hill as as a a player, not even a designated player, just a soccer player. Um, in any league, that's that's a wonderful strike. Um, and just to have him back and healthy, um, even if it's only for you know one more game, um, it's just nice to sort of get them get get all three DPS on the field, get them a few more minutes start back again in, in preseason and really see if New England can, can make the jump into the elite in the Eastern Conference next season. Um, you've got a, a couple of other pieces, Henry Kessler, Matt Polster, uh, Tayson Buchanan is an emerging as, as a winger. Um, you know, that probably means, you know, Christian Panini is not here next year. Um, you know, the Revolution are going to have options and, and maybe a little bit of money to spend on uh, some TAM-level players and we'll see, um, you know, what Bruce Sweeney can do as far as restocking and retooling this roster. Uh, and what would be his, you know, second off season going into his third year. What was it like when you heard Lee Wynn came back to the Revolution? I, to be honest with you, I didn't think he would come back to New England at all. I, I didn't think he would accept any deal, uh, whether, you know, when he has time with LAFC, uh, then was uh, picked up by Inter-Miami in the uh, expansion draft this year. I didn't think he'd ever go back to New England. Were you surprised that happened? Um, I was yes and no. I was I was surprised that New England was as aggressive uh, at the trade deadline, um, but I, I shouldn't be that surprised because New England does those types of trades all the time. Getting that Polster um, technically off the allocation order or from Chicago in a trade, uh, getting Lee Win. Those are just little moves. That could have, man, we haven't seen enough of. I wish we really had seen more of him. I thought that could have been a much much bigger uh, piece. Um, you know, New England has always been one of the great, if not, I think, the best team trading within MLS. Very North American uh, transaction, but still something that, that they utilize, I think, better than anyone. And I, I think it was just very nice for Lee Wing to come back, even though we know he's not the 2014 MV Lee. We, we understand that. But still, in order to you know, come off the bench... Make sure Carlos Hill isn't, you know, overworking himself, particularly coming off the injury. Um, he can play the number six, the number eight, the number ten now. Um, the utility, you know, midfield type. Um, just it brings another dimension to New England, either off the bench or I've been saying put him next to Hill. Let's see what happens. Um, that means you only have one holding mid behind him. That's fine. Um, you know, tinker around, see what New England can do. I think New England has enough utility and enough depth across the board, particularly in the midfield to really throw a lot of different looks at players and a lot of different um, problems, putting Bo and Busca as a two-man striker team. Um, really, you know, maybe a five-man back line or a three-man back line with your, with your fullbacks or wingbacks. Um, you know, Bootner, Jones, By, Buchanan. You have enough of these players um, to, to really, I think, cause a lot of havoc in the league tactically, and we haven't seen that yet. I'm, I'm hoping that's something that Bruce really gets into. I've been saying this about this team since the Jay Heats era. Uh, since the Brad Friedel era, this is a team that should be able to stretch teams out tactically. We haven't seen that yet. I'm hoping next year will be uh, really the turning point for this team on a lot of levels. Now, I have to ask you this. Uh, three to four matches already between, you know, Montreal and New England. We know that, you know, historically, mostly in hockey with the Bruins and the Canadians, it's always a hotly contested rivalry. Uh, it looks like Montreal, New England has really started to blossom well, especially, um, you know, the famous American head coach of soccer in Bruce Arena, the most famous French footballer in Thierry Henry. Uh, to me, it looks like this is really heating up to become a nice derby. What do you think about that? You know, I, I would I would not have a problem with that. Um, it's, it's sort of a, it, I think started as a little bit of a running gag, and now we've turned it into a bit of a thing. We refer to it as the maple syrup derby um, because Vermont makes maple syrup and apparently French Canada makes maple syrup. Understandable. Uh, we say ours is better. They say theirs is better. We set all our differences on the soccer field and have a good laugh about it. Um, you know, New England has always really lacked a true rival. Um, we've, we've gone at this for years. Oh, is our rival the Chicago Fire from the 90s? Well, God, we haven't, they've been, no, we haven't played them at all. They've been terrible. Our rival is the Houston Dynamo or the LA Galaxy. We've played so many MLS Cups against them. Well, now they're in the Western Conference. Is it the Red Bulls? Red Bulls have been largely irrelevant for until recently. Um, do we have another geographical rival? Is it NYCFC? No, not really. So Montreal might be able to fit that bill of being a local enough rival. You mentioned the hockey um, with the Bruins. 
I don't know if the Hartford Whalers had any bad blood with the Canadians. I, I, I doubt it. Um, it's entirely possible. Um, maybe there's some bad blood now because Toronto is borrowing our goal song in East Hartford um, for the rest of the year. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it would be nice if that became a rival, not because it's on Ryu or Ring, just because it's, it's two fan bases that play these games that are always really, I think, just slugfest. These are just two teams, tend to play the same formation, tend to play the same style, a little bit of possession, a little bit of counterattacking, and it's just a little chess match and watching everyone in the ball and, and figuring out where that mistake is going to be or where that space is going to come from. Um, they're always very cagey affairs, and I, I always really enjoy watching them, um, even though it raises my stress levels tremendously, and I, I shouldn't watch soccer to get stressed out. I have enough of that already uh, <laughs> this year, but it is what it is. No, it is what it is. I understand. So... Um, you have a big opponent next up. New England goes on the road against the Philadelphia Union. Of course, they won the Supporters' Shield of uh, 2020. In your mind, in your mind, is this going to be a very tough matchup once again? We all know what happened in the last game of the regular season. Um, you got knocked out of the sixth position, and the Red Bulls took it over at that point. Uh, this is going to be a tough one again for the Revolution. Yeah, this is just, uh, Philadelphia is just a tremendous team, and that's that's really what it, what it boils down to is is can anyone in the Eastern Conference um, break down that defensive, you know, the defensive grouping? Um, you know, same thing, four two three one, great back line, great holding mids, uh, Andre Blake and goal. As we know, we we stand the Matt Turner train here in New England, but Andre Blake is a tremendous goalkeeper and, and deserving of the goalkeeper of the year award. Uh, if we're rewarding the you know best goalkeeper on the best team kind of sort of format, not what we think is the best overall goalkeeper, which statistically was that term, we're not here to talk about that. Um, we're here to talk about uh, the reason why Philadelphia is a Sports Show winner is because they've been kicking the snot out of New England pretty much the entire year. I, I want to say it's, this is the sixth or seventh game between these two teams. Um, not counting the MLS Cup is back knockout stage, which Philadelphia knocked us out. It was 1-0 uh, back when we were terrible and were injured and, and just a mess. Um, can New England win this game? Sure, any given Sunday or any given Tuesday, uh, as it were. Yes, New England can win this game. Um, is New England in a position or fit enough or, or tactically you know, well-rounded enough to, to break down uh, Philadelphia? Uh, on, you know, results would support point to no. Uh, the reason why Philadelphia has beaten us pretty much every single time this year, and there's one draw in there, um, is because it is, New England just has problems breaking down uh, stat teams. They have problems generating a lot of quality chances, um, particularly against the, the better teams in the East uh, and teams that are you know, great at defense. I'll throw Nashville in there as well. It's another fantastic defensive team. Um, and when they used to win, you know, uh, when Philadelphia starts scoring, it opens the game up, and now you've got to now you've got to really search for that goal and spread yourself out, and that usually leads to more goals going to the back of the net um, and and crooked score lines. So I, uh, you know, Philadelphia gets on the board early. Um, it's going to take a lot for, for New England to get back in this game. If, if New England can get it into extra time or into penalties, anything can happen. But I, I think they would have to go that route um, against Philadelphia because they're, they're, they're either going to have to find a lot of ridiculously chan- good chances to get past uh, Andre Blake, if Andre Blake is in goal, or just the defense in general. And, and they haven't shown themselves yet this year uh, to beat a team that can break down uh, a quality defense like Philadelphia. So... Uh, it is going to be a tall task. Uh, you know, certainly I hope they're up for it. Uh, they're, they are coming off a pretty good performance uh, against Montreal. Obviously, performance you want them to have more goals uh, than they did. But you know, you just survive in advance at this point. Anything can happen on Tuesday night. There you go, and it should be a fun time on Tuesday night to take on the New England Revolution. So uh, all I can say is, Jake, it should be a lot of fun, and uh, you have a good uh, afternoon, evening, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. game so far but any indication uh, these playoffs are going to be uh, just a magnificent viewing experience um, so I'll be I'll be fairly happy to you know stick around uh, doing it gets knocked out but we're going to obviously root for him until the end here you got it have a good night thank you all right Jake Catanese Brent Musket SB Nation on the New England Revolution um, great stuff there from Jake and uh, we'll see what happens in this final day of the uh, quarterfinals. Um, Nashville just took out and destroyed Inter-Miami 3-0. Randall Leal, wow, what a rip. That was a uh, nice assist by Alex Wheel in the 14th minute. Ten minutes later, 
Hani Mukhtar found a way to, of course, convert his goal. It was from the spot kick. Questions about the positioning or how it was fouled, and, but they said, no, it's a foul. It's going to be a penalty. Converts in the 24th minute. And then Dax McCarty, who's the captain. Uh, if you're a New York Red Bulls fan, you've seen how Dax McCarty works and how he plays, and whenever he's able to you know, go for goal, he'll take a chance. And boy, did he ever. He ripped that one in the second half in the um, 57th minute. And at the end of the day, Miami just finds a way. I shouldn't say they find a way. They uh, just don't play good enough. Obviously, they got a player who was not able to get back into the roster in time due to the uh, coronavirus situation in uh, Gonzalo Higuain. And uh, that's the end of that, to be honest with you. That's the end of that. And the uh, Nashville, Nashville SC finds a way. To go out and they take down Inter Miami three goals to nil. So we still have three more playoff games remaining in the quarterfinal round. Toronto is going to give Nashville some fits. Of course, they are the Support Shield, uh, excuse me, no, the Philadelphia Union are the Support Shield champions, but Toronto is going to be a tough customer. They're going to take Hartford, Connecticut, and make it their own. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen there. Other than that, it's been a great evening. Uh, we've got some more soccer to go. Wednesday will be uh, the quarterfinal review show for the 2020 MLS Cup playoffs. We'll try and get everyone uh, to come over, to be situated, and we're going to have some fun. So I want to thank my guests for tonight, Margulies from Nevada Sportsnet on the Reno 1868 situation. And I also want to thank Jake Cantonese for joining me tonight. And I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the show tonight. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.